From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Tuesday, November seventh, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's president has met with Australia's prime minister in Beijing, with the two sides discussing the potential for trade and cooperation. The health ministry in Gaza has announced a grim milestone amid the conflict between Hamas and Israel. And former U.S. President Donald Trump's testified at the $250 million fraud case against him in New York. In business, China's foreign trade rises in October. In sports, China unveils its roster for the World Cup Asian qualifiers. In culture and entertainment, the Philadelphia Orchestra will perform in Beijing. Now checking the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping has met with Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese in Beijing. President Xi said China and Australia, without historical enmities or fundamental conflicts of interest, can be mutually successful partners. He urged the two sides to align the relationship with global trends and to view、uh, the world as a place of shared destiny with abundant opportunities for cooperation. The Chinese leader advocated for a relationship based on equality and mutual benefit to further their comprehensive. Comprehensive strategic partnership and meet common interests and regional expectations. He emphasized China's role in bringing certainty to the global economy and called for cooperation in new areas such as climate change and green economic initiatives. The president also expressed support for legislative and think tank exchanges, as well as youth engagement and broader cooperation in the South Pacific to bolster resilience against climate change. With more on this, Greg Navarro reports from Sydney. There's been a lot of reaction over the last 12 to 24 hours of Anthony Albanese's trip to China and his meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping. The coverage has been mostly positive of how Albanese handled himself, conducted himself during the first visit by an Australian Prime Minister to China in nearly seven years. Albanese himself has said the goal all along was for a more stabilized relationship, and that is especially after the last couple of years, which the relationship. Hit a low point、uh, marked by a freeze in high-level ministerial meetings, trade blockages, and tariffs. In fact, stabilization has really been the goal of Albanese's government since he assumed office more than a year ago. Now, the political analysis from within his government, as you would expect, very positive, praising his performance during his time with the Chinese president. Also, that included noting that、uh, Australia has managed to. Whether those trade blockages and tariffs—remember, trade between the two countries has remained very strong. Those exporters impacted,、uh, according to some politicians, able to find other markets to diversify where they can. And there is a very hopeful sign that,、uh, according to、uh, people within his government, that those remaining Australian exporters, primarily 
wine, lobster and some beef producers will uh, be able to gain full access once again. Now, Australia's opposition government, as you can imagine, had a bit more of a wary approach while still praising the prime minister for his uh, trip to China and his approach in all this, saying that trust remains an issue. One interesting thing with all this, though, analysts say the impact to Australian businesses, whether they're actually doing business in China at the moment or looking to do business, the symbolism involved with uh, front page photos in newspapers here and then websites where the two leaders are shaking hands and smiling sends a very powerful message. They say that will only help to encourage more people-to-people exchanges between the two nations. That was Greg Navarro reporting. For the first time ever, the United States is participating at the CIIE on the federal level. The American Pavilion consists of uh, 17 exhibitors, mainly showcasing agricultural products and agri-technology. President Michael Hart of the American Chamber of Commerce in China says the expo is an important platform for win-win cooperation, as more American companies are seeking to expand their market in China. This is a what I would call a season of returns. And the U.S. and China have a very significant uh, trading uh, relationship. China is a major market for many, many of our companies. Uh, We think there's a lot of ways for us to cooperate. And one of the most obvious things that you can see over the past 15, 20 years was the growth of consumer goods in China. As China makes its economy more green, there's a lot of opportunities for us to uh, collaborate as well in areas where we can help each other. So it's important for companies to be an important bridge uh, to make sure that Commerce leads the way uh, in terms of you know, peace and prosperity and finding ways for us to cooperate. Uh, President Xi recognizing the importance of global trades. China has done well by attracting investment. Uh, companies continue to want to be able to participate in the China market. And so one of the things that's made China a really attractive market to invest in over the years was because China has long had very clear policies. And Ch- China has done really well by engaging the world. So our member companies continue to look to China. It's interesting that over the last couple of years with the interruptions and also with some trade uh, spats back and forth, the U.S. and China continue to do record amounts of trade for the last couple of years. Um, at the sessions I've been at so far, even today, what I've heard is company after company talking about, number one, how important China is a market for them. Number two, how they've had success here because of this collaboration, whether it be research or trade or supply chains. I think it's important to keep in mind that we've always had our points of difference, uh, but what we need to do is to emphasize the areas where we can cooperate together. There's nothing better than trade uh, to allow us to see the win-win opportunities. CIIE is just a good chance for people to Um, you know, look at the opportunities, again, that come from trade. So it's nice to see U.S. companies and foreign companies here uh, exhibiting because they recognize how important the Chinese market is to them. So what I've written here is international trade benefits all of us. So best of luck for CIIE from AmCham China. That was Michael Hart, president of the American Chamber of Commerce in China. American companies have a large presence at the CIIE, with many of them participating for the first time. Leading material sciences firm Millikan & Company is among them. And Ule caught up with the president and CEO, Halsey M. Cook Jr. Very pleased to be here for the first time. You know, we want to get closer to the market, see more of our customers. I think it's been um, also good for us to understand where the government policy is headed. Uh, Clearly some strong statements being made on sustainability and that is really core to who we are as a company and we believe that we have a a competitive advantage in sustainability. It's been good to see some of those marquee brands um, from the United States here after um, all you've read about in the news in terms of trade between the nations and um, I think we're ready to all move forward. Um, China is an important market and we want to be here. As a global leading material science company headquartered in the United States, your company has been in China for decades. What's your assessment of the collaboration between American and Chinese companies in the sector? We have important partners here uh, that we've worked very close with uh, over many years. You know, companies like Sinopec and, um, and others that are you know, so important to this market. We have pilot programs with many of our customers here. We've set up some, some joint ventures recently. The, the, the real focus remains on sustainability as circularity and recycling and everything around reducing carbon becomes more important. We, we see more opportunities than, than we can action 
um, and they keep coming. So we're, we're excited with the collaboration in this market. China vows to achieve a high level of openness and promote green and sustainable growth. How will this commitment enhance your long-term investment and market presence in China? It, it certainly will uh, uh, demonstrate that the, the Chinese market is serious about uh, sustainability for the long term. So, you know, there are commitments made um, out 30 years from now, but even today as we go along the streets, we see a lot of EV, um, you know, the automotive market is important for us both in terms of coatings and also airbags and, and, and other products. So we, we see that this is a market we want to be in as it grows and, and as it evolves into more sustainable, low carbon types of products, which is really our strategy at the highest level. And that was President and CEO Halsey M. Cook Jr. of Millican & Company ending that report. Many foreign clean energy enterprises are gaining a foothold in the Chinese market as the country continues to promote green development. Uh, Ampere is an electric aircraft manufacturer based in the U.S. The company is a global leader in aircraft electrification and has won many awards for aeronautical innovation and environmental sustainability. As a newcomer in the vast Chinese market, this is also the first time for the company to participate in the CIIE. Uh, Jung Tao spoke with senior executive Susan Ying of the company's expectations in exploring the Chinese market. This is the first time, right, that your company participated in the uh, International Import Expo. What has attracted your company to come? It's the first time uh, because I think especially uh, we're a clean energy um, industry and also China is very ambitious and growing is growing very fast in adopting the clean uh, or green energy in the transportation sector particularly. Uh, so, you know, for example, the largest EV producers and also the largest uh, customer base, right, in, as in China. And so, you know, the, the I think last year's uh, total EV production in China is more than the whole the rest of the world adding up together, right? <laughs> and also coming from aerospace industry, because, you know, I personally had 20 years uh, experience in with Boeing. And so I'm aware that China is a huge um, uh, aerospace uh, market or aviation market. So the combination of these two factors, the uh, clean energy adoption for transportation, as well as the um, uh, aviation market, that's really very attractive um, to Ampere. You know, just like the way how it has the CIIE has attracted uh, Tesla and some of the other uh, more advanced uh, green energy transportation uh, products. And as a newcomer for the trade event, what do you expect from this year's CIE? I think uh, a lot of good things will happen. I expect um, also with this time, there'll be more, uh, more potential customers and also potential partners that would uh, you know, come around to the CIIE because uh, the more that China has adopted these uh, clean energy uh, industry, the more I think it's going to attract all the people who wanted to work in this industry. So uh, the customers, the partners uh, for our business uh, are the expectations for this year. You mentioned potential for multiple times. So how do you see the potential of the aircraft uh, market in China? And uh, what do you expect to achieve in the China market? Oh, I think the potential is huge. And uh, especially uh, aviation or aircraft market, you know, it's a, a huge pillar to the economy, right? You know, because uh, the growth of aviation uh, for uh, most of the world is uh, parallel to that of the uh, the GDP of the economy of the countries. And so therefore that the, the air, uh, aircraft market is going to be in terms of trillions of uh, RMB. And we definitely cannot ignore that. And uh, what we try to achieve is that through the uh, implementation of the policies, as well as uh, all the new technologies that we bring, and also with partners, and because uh, we have some great partners uh, also at the show, we're partnering with uh, Virgin taxi. Um, so that will be something uh, that we're looking forward to to achieve in China. That was Susan Yang, a senior executive with Ampere.
Global exhibitors are displaying their latest creations and services at the ongoing China International Import Expo. Organizers have designated a special area for new releases and scheduled 71 events between Monday and Wednesday. Nearly 60 world-renowned enterprises are holding promotional activities to show their newest offerings. From innovative electronic toothbrushes to recycled textiles, attendees are getting a glimpse at novelty products that will soon reach Chinese consumers. The expo is showcasing over 440 new products, technologies and services for the first time. CIIE has witnessed the growth of many enterprises, and one New Zealand-based dairy company is now emerging as a market leader. Ubin caught up with the CEO to learn about the success story. New Zealand is known for its natural farms and fresh milk. The high-quality milk there is no longer just a privilege for local residents, but also for people across the Pacific Ocean. And in 72 hours, the fresh milk from the New Zealand has arrived in China, and that's how the company is winning over the Chinese market. The increased speed comes with a new step in custom clearance to facilitate free trade. To put it simply, a green light has been given to fresh products to ensure they can reach Chinese tables as quickly as possible. And this is made possible by the China International Import Expo. I couldn't believe it. To be honest, when we first launched milk, the pasteurized milk through to China, I was very skeptical whether we could actually transition it through the supply chain quickly enough. Roy added that in the past, it took seven to eight days to transport fresh milk from New Zealand to China, which meant that pasteurized milk only had one week before expiration by the time it reached customers. However, the Import Expo has facilitated the swift passage of the product, resulting in a 28-fold increase in the sales volume of fresh milk. We couldn't do that before. And a consequence was we went from, you know, uh, one and two tier cities straight through all the way to four and five tier cities. I don't think we could have achieved that in the speed we did without the CIIE. The company also played a leading role in facilitating the debut of other brands at the expo. That was Uben reporting. The Serbian Minister of Tourism and Youth has also attended the expo in Shanghai. Hussein Memej says it's important to connect tourism resources and set up more direct flights between China and Serbia. Here's an interview with Dai Kai. We see a continued growing trend uh, in terms of two-way travel between China and Serbia uh, with no visas required and also direct flights. How do you assess the current uh, tourism exchanges between the two countries? It's absolutely true. In 2019, China was the first to introduce direct flights with Serbia, and the Chinese market was the first market, and the Chinese citizens were the first citizens to be coming to Serbia. One of the purposes we came for is to invite tour operators to come and connect with the Serbian tour operators. The fact is that for that, we need more direct flights, and this is an exclusive news I'm now bringing, and a very good one, is that very soon, after having discussions with our national airline, we will be introducing a direct flight from Belgrade to Shanghai, which of course, will enable the arrival of many tourists from Shanghai to Belgrade. That was Hussein Memec, Serbian Minister of Tourism and Youth, attending the, or, uh, ending that interview with Dai Kai. Overseas exhibitors at the CIIE, including those from the U.S. and Europe, have expressed confidence in China's vast market. Sanofi CEO Paul Hudson says uh, the pharmaceutical and healthcare company is excited to be in the country. China is a, a real gift to the world. It also exports a lot to the world. It imports a lot from the world. It's a huge country. And I just think that the, the message is, uh, why not? You know, the science, the energy, the enthusiasm, the innovation, the tech. You know, I get a lot of energy just from being in the country. President Jean-Christophe Pointeau of Pfizer China says the expo has sent a clear message for those who want to do business in China. I think the message are very clear, inviting much more for investment to partner with local industries. So for us is to partner with the local biotech. Uh, how to uh, discover and to develop local innovation, not only in China for China, but in China for global. 
In the meantime, Commerce Minister Wang Wentao says China welcomes foreign enterprises to develop in its market as uh, cutting off the global industrial and supply chain is unsustainable. Wang made the remarks as he visited exhibitors from the U.S. and Europe at the expo. This year's CIIE has attracted participants from over 150 countries, regions and international organizations and will unveil more than 400 new products, technologies and services. More than 750 European companies are participating in the Expo with many launching exhibitions and reporting positive responses. Coming up, officials in Gaza say a month of fighting has killed 10,000 Palestinians. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. At 19 minutes past the hour, Israel's bombardment of Gaza is not letting up as deaths in the enclave climb to over 10,000, among them 4,100 children. Gaza's health ministry says an Israeli airstrike has hit a building in the Al-Shifa hospital complex, the largest medical facility in Gaza, killing one person. It says the building was hosting 170 patients and hundreds of displaced Palestinians. Israel has denied that its forces targeted the facility. It's accused Hamas of using the hospital as a shield for its tunnels and operations. Meantime, Hamas's Al-Qassam brigades say they've destroyed one or they've destroyed 27 Israeli military vehicles in Gaza over the past two days, including tanks and armored vehicles. Nur Harazin has more from the besieged Gaza Strip. Actually, it was one of the hardest nights that the people of Gaza had to go through. The Israeli warplanes showered struck Gaza with uh, tens of airstrikes and also white phosphor bombs, specifically in areas like West Gaza, Ashata refugee camp, Northern Gaza, Jabalia and uh, Beit Hanun uh, refugee camps, and also Eastern Gaza like Ashijaiya and Azaytun neighborhoods. Uh, here in Middle Gaza, an Israeli airstrike on Al Maghazi refugee camp uh, pounded a whole block to the ground 52 people were uh, killed in this one Israeli attack on Al-Maghazi uh, refugee camp. At the same time, Israel continues its attacks on uh, Palestinian hospitals here in Gaza, especially those that are operating. Since the morning, the Israeli warplanes targeted Al-Nasir Hospital, the Eyes uh, Hospital, which is also uh, close to the Al-Nasir Hospital that is specialized in treating uh, children. They also attacked the Arran TC. Uh, cancer hospital. This hospital is uh, specializes in uh, treating kids with uh, cancer. At the same time, also attacked the front gate of the Al Quds Hospital, and the Israeli warplanes targeted the uh, solar plant uh, on the rooftop of the Ashifa Hospital. According to the IDF, the Salah Din Road is open to allow people to evacuate from northern Gaza to southern Gaza, but. Because that repeatedly the Israeli army said that the roads are safe and previously attacked Palestinians and their cars, civilians trying to evacuate. Now a very small number of people are putting their trust in the uh, recent uh, statements by the IDF. That was Noor Harazin reporting. The Israeli army has severed northern Gaza and pounded it with airstrikes as its troops close in on Gaza City. Meantime, protests have erupted in Jerusalem, calling for the government to do more to free the hostages that Hamas holds in Gaza. Sam Mednick has more from Jerusalem. Israel has severed northern Gaza and the military says that it could be inside Gaza City as early as Tuesday. Overnight, Israel said that it hit 450 targets, including taking over a Hamas compound. Israel said it destroyed several Hamas compounds that were firing rockets into Israel. One of them was inside a mosque. Israel also said that it took out a key Hamas commander. This commander was one of the people responsible for the October 7th attack on Israel when Hamas militants entered the south of Israel killing more than 1,400 people and taking 240 people hostage. But as these attacks intensify, Israel said it is losing soldiers. It's lost 30 soldiers, and that number is expected to rise as this next phase of the war continues. The next phase is urban fighting in Gaza City, face-to-face -face combat with Hamas.
in addition to this ground offensive, Israel is continuing to launch airstrikes over Gaza. Israel says that Hamas uses these infrastructures for its operations. Hamas has rejected that. But as the conflict continues, there is this growing concern that it could expand regionally. There has been increasing violence on the northern border with Lebanon in recent days. On Monday, Hamas said that it fired 16 rockets from Lebanon into cities in northern Israel, as well as near the city of Haifa. A rocket hitting Haifa would be the farthest that one has gone from Lebanon since the beginning of the war. On the Israeli side, frustration in the country is mounting at the government's handling of the hostage crisis. On Monday, families and relatives and friends of uh, the hostages gathered in Jerusalem outside of the parliament demanding that the government do something now. I spoke to one man there, his name is Noam. His 27-year-old girlfriend was abducted on October 7th from uh, a music festival. He said that he wants the government to make the hostages a priority. He said that even if it means stopping this ground invasion, the government can obliterate Hamas later, but the hostages need to be returned now. That was Sam Mednick reporting. A senior Hamas leader has denied the killing of civilians in the attacks on Israel on October the 7th. But Israel says most of the 1,400 people killed that day were Israeli civilians. Hamas deputy political leader Musa Abu Marzouk told the BBC that uh, Al-Qassam Brigade's fighters only targeted conscripts or soldiers, while women, children and civilians were exempt. Marzouk also said Hamas will not release its hostages while Israel continues to bomb Gaza. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has reaffirmed that a ceasefire will not happen without the release of the hostages. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres is again calling for an end of the conflict. He described the intensifying fighting as a crisis of humanity. Uh, Jody Jacobs has more. The United Nations chief says Gaza is becoming, in his words, a graveyard for children, adding that hundreds of girls and boys are reportedly being killed or injured every day. Guterres says the international community faces an immediate and fundamental responsibility to stop the collective suffering and dramatically expand humanitarian aid to Gaza. The United Nations has launched a $1.2 billion humanitarian appeal to help 2.7 million people, the entire population of Gaza and half a million Palestinians in the West Bank. And Guterres had strong words for both sides participating in the conflict. And the images of suffering are heartbreaking and soul-crushing. But we must find a way to hold on to our common humanity. I think of civilians in Gaza, the vast majority women and children, terrified by the relentless bombardment. We're at uh, 26 minutes past the hour. That was UN Chief Antonio Guterres uh, ending that report from Jody Jacobs. Uh, Donald Trump's defended his wealth and business on the witness stand in New York. He also denounced a lawsuit accusing him of dramatically inflating his net worth. It's the first time in more than a century that a former U.S. president testified as a defendant in a court case. Karina Mitchell has more on this dramatic moment. Now, this is a civil case. It's not a criminal one. Being brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James, she has alleged that the defendants helped inflate Donald Trump's net worth and the valuations of his properties in this case and helped him secure better financial terms for things like loans and insurance. Earlier, she spoke outside the courthouse, hinting at what might be expected inside the courtroom today. Take a listen. Before he takes the stand, I am certain that he will engage in name-calling and taunts and race-baiting and call this a witch hunt. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters are the facts and the numbers. And numbers, my friends, don't lie. Now, Trump himself has admitted no wrongdoing in the case. He continues to call it a sham, a disgrace, and a witch hunt against him. He was incredibly animated inside the court. He was sparring with the judge. He was making digs at Letitia James at one point, saying the judge would rule against him because that's just what he always does. For his part, the judge admonished Trump and told him to just stick to answering the questions and to be concise. That was something that he was not able to do. At one point, the judge beseeched his team, uh, Trump's attorneys, to please control his client. Otherwise, he said he would, and he would strike his testimony and inferring the worst possible outcome, not something anybody wants to see happen in a trial, but drama seems to follow 
Trump around wherever he goes. There have already been two gag orders issued in this case. Now, there is no jury in this case. So before the trial even started, the judge has deemed that the defendants did commit fraud. So this really is a penalty sort of part of the trial that's going on. The stakes are incredibly high for Donald Trump. The AG wants to revoke his ability and his two elder sons' ability to conduct any type of business in New York and impose a $250 million fine. Of course, none of this stopping Trump in the polls in the most recent one. He is ahead in five out of six key battleground states. That was Karina Mitchell in New York. 28 past the hour, now Beijing down to zero this evening. Wednesday, we'll see cloudy skies and a high of 11. Chongqing has a slight rainfall, continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 16. The high is 21. Alas is down to minus one overnight, then cloudy in 10. Hong Kong's down to 25, followed by clouds and a high of 27. While elsewhere, Tokyo, 16 degrees overnight. It'll be sunny in 20 on Wednesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China's presidents met with Australia's Prime Minister in Beijing with the two sides discussing the potential for trade and cooperation. The health ministry in Gaza has announced a grim milestone amid the conflict between Hamas and Israel. And former U.S. President Donald Trump's testified at the $258 million fraud case against him in New York. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好, or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday. Still to come. In business, China's foreign trade rises in October. In sports, China unveils its roster for the World Cup Asian qualifiers. In culture and entertainment, the Philadelphia Orchestra will perform in Beijing. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Uh, first of all, though, with today's headlines, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese Environment Minister has urged Japan to faithfully fulfill its international obligations, engage in thorough consultations with other stakeholders, and dispose of nuclear-contaminated water in a scientific and responsible way. Huang Renqiu made the remarks during the opening ceremony for the 24th Tripartite Environment Minister's meeting among China, Japan and South Korea. Huang said the three countries share geographical proximity and cultural affinity, and China is willing to continue strengthening cooperation with the other two, two countries in practicing genuine multilateralism and jointly promoting environmental multilateral processes. The Tripartite Environment Minister's meeting between China, Japan and South Korea has been an annual event since 1999, which addresses common environmental issues for the region and promotes sustainable growth. The number of new business registrations in China continued to rise in the first nine months of the year. Official data shows over 24 million new business entities during the January-September period, up 12%. 
The state administration for market regulation said the figures point to improving market expectations and recovering confidence. It said China's Chinese businesses entities have experienced a more robust growth momentum thanks to a range of policies aimed at boosting domestic demand, fostering confidence, and supporting the private economy. Russia has formally withdrawn from the Treaty on Conventional Armed Forces in Europe. According to the Russian Foreign Ministry, the move came on Tuesday at midnight. It added that Russia currently does not seek the possibility of concluding any new arms control agreements with NATO countries. The treaty, originally signed in 1990 by NATO and six Warsaw Treaty states, came into force in 1992. It aimed to establish a balance between the two military alliances by setting limits on the quantities of weapons and military equipment that all parties could amass. EU officials have reaffirmed the importance of standing by Ukraine in its fight against Russia, saying the defeat of the Ukrainian army would be a defeat for the European Union. Speaking in front of ambassadors gathered in Brussels, EU High Representative Joseph Borrell insisted on the importance of continuing support for Ukraine. More than ever, Ukraine is a struggle to fight against the Russian invasion. Ukraine losses, we lose. We need to keep our unanimity and our unity in supporting Ukraine. We are the first provider of support to Ukraine. We are, more than the US. You know the figures. The prospect of membership, the development of substantial economic and financial assistance program, military aid through the European Peace Facility, bilateral channels, the provision of security guarantees are essential components of our work. Meantime, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said that due to international support and Ukraine's continued determination, the war would remain a strategic failure for the Kremlin. A Sudanese lawyers group say says artillery shells that hit a market in Omdurman, north of the capital, have killed more than 20 civilians. The group says the exchange of fire between the Sudanese armed forces and the paramilitary rapid support forces wounded many others. It's the latest bloodshed in the fighting that erupted between the two sides in April. The United Nations says that more than 25 million people in the country are in need of aid. The conflict so far has killed around 19,000 people and displaced more than 5.7 million. The United Nations Humanitarian Agency is calling for the activation of evacuation plans along the Juba and Shabelle rivers. The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs estimated that over 700,000 people are affected as rain-triggered floods continue to devastate several parts of Somalia, with more than 110,000 displaced. The raging floods have so far killed 14 people in the African country. Further flooding is expected across Somalia, which is estimated to impact 1.2 million people. Office-sharing company WeWork has filed for bankruptcy in the United States. The company said the filing is limited to WeWork's locations in the U.S. and Canada. In its bankruptcy petition, the company listed about 15 billion U.S. dollars in assets and more than 18 billion in debt. The company said 92% of its lenders agreed to a restructuring plan that would allow WeWork to operate during the organization. Finally, the Inter-Civilizational Communication and Global Development Forum hosted by the Party School of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of China opened in Beijing on Tuesday. The three-day event-themed tradition of civilization and path to modernization has attracted over 150 politicians, entrepreneurs, think tank experts, scholars and cultural celebrities from more than 30 countries to discuss issues concerning communication among civilizations and global development. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zihang with headlines. This is Shane Begerman, the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's foreign trade rises in October. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. We're at 37 minutes past the hour, turning to business, and here's Tianyu. Thank you, Shane. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Tuesday. Timothy Pope has more. 
Asian stock markets were largely on pause or in retreat today as investors were taking profits uh, after yesterday's gains. Uh, here in Shanghai, the composite index slipped fractionally as we saw losses for financial and consumer heavyweights uh, outweigh the gains uh, that were made by uh, tech and energy stocks. Uh, where there were also similar uh, small losses uh, for the uh, Shenzhen Component Index. Four of the top ten drags on the market today were insurance firms, including China Life Insurance, Ping An Insurance Group and uh, China Pacific Insurance. Liquor giant Guizhou Maltai was also uh, a, uh, one of these those helping lead the index lower. Uh, it shed about 1.2% today. Real estate stocks were mixed uh, after their strong performance on Monday. Uh, that was based on the announcement that one of China Vanka's top shareholders, Shenzhen Metro, has put together a 10 billion yuan toolbox for the developer to draw on if it needs liquidity. Uh, Vanka is only, uh, it is the only one of uh, China's major private sector developers not to have defaulted on its debt so far. Uh, Vanka shares were down about a third of 1% in Shenzhen today. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down over 1.6%. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped 1.3%. China's foreign trade rose 0.9% in October to 3.5 trillion yuan, or around 500 billion U.S. dollars. It came after four months of decline since June and indicates recovery in the sector. In the first 10 months, exports grew 0.4% from a year ago to 19.5 trillion yuan, while imports declined 0.5% to 14.7 trillion yuan. For more on the latest economic data from China, Michelle Vandenberg spoke with Zhou Mi, a senior research fellow at the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. Why have China's imports from its main uh, trading partners surged, leading uh, to the increased trade volume? What's driving this demand? I believe that for the increase of the import are many factors. One of them is that we have established a mechanism, including the free trade agreements with many of our trading partners. So it provides a better choices for the enterprises to explore the possibilities of Chinese market. We support them by open our a better platform and also facilitate for the trade. And that's provide a lot of uh, good things for the choices. Well, the second is that Chinese market is uh, uh, basically, it's naturally very big. I have to say that it's not only about the volume, but also about the structure. We see there are so many different provinces have their different structures, and they really want to import not only the certain kind of products, but more diversified from so many different countries. So I, I think that is the reasons we are trying to see that the import has increased so quickly. That was Zhou Mi, a senior research fellow at the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. China's central bank says latest efforts on lowering the interest rate on existing mortgages have helped reduce expenses for borrowers. Thanks to the new, to the new policy, each household can enjoy an annual reduction of 3,200 yuan, or around 440 U.S. dollars. The policy was has covered over 3 trillion U.S. dollars of mortgages and lowered the average interest rate by 0.7 points. Companies listed on Chinese mainland stock markets maintained steady growth in the first nine months of the year. The combined operating revenue of the listed companies reached 53.6 trillion yuan, or around 7.3 trillion U.S. dollars. Among the over 5,200 firms, over 56% reported growth in revenue, with over 700 firms posting revenue growth of more than 30% compared to a year ago. Chen Li is the chief economist of Chuancai Securities based in Chengdu. He attributes the good performance to effective government measures. China has consistently introduced and implemented measures to stabilize the economy and promote consumption, which have further released the country's consumption potential. Meanwhile, the central bank has continued to lower corporate financing costs, partly by means of tax and fee cuts. He has said the coordination between monetary and fiscal policies is the major factor in promoting recovery in macroeconomic activities. The CIIE has brought business opportunities for not only international brands, but also some local importers in China. Zhang Shixuan has more. A foreign trade business specialist for three decades, Pan Qi had her professional career dominated by textile exports until six years ago. But since the first China International Import Expo held in Shanghai in 2018, 
things have changed from an export to an import business. As domestic costs increase, the profit for traditional general trading has become lower. So a large batch of foreign trade business staff had to adapt. And the CIIE is a good opportunity for us to shift from export to import. Her imports have been expanding from just food at the first CIIE to toys, healthcare products and medical equipment. She's even bringing children's football training services this year. An expansion from general trading to service trading. The countries she trades with have expanded from Japan to also include European countries. Many foreign companies have been interested in the China market for some time, but they didn't have an entry point. Now more customers have been reaching out to us, sometimes we even have too many to deal with. This year, Pan's overseas client numbers are five times that of last year. The import volume has doubled or tripled compared to six years ago. Foreign companies are now more willing to cooperate with local importers. Importers are reliable and have good reputations in the local market. So that makes it easier for us to reach out to the local families and the market. We also want to cooperate with Orient International to enter into China's elderly care sector. Some companies are also taking advantage of the expo to import high-end medical equipment. At past expos, Intuitive Falson has been exhibiting a surgery robot from the U.S. This year, the company has made it possible for the robot to be manufactured in China. It's been six years since the first CIRE was held in Shanghai. Numerous exhibits have turned into products for sale. And it's not just industrial equipment. Retail goods have become more common in Chinese everyday life. Some of them have turned out to be popular on e-commerce sites. As an e-commerce platform starting from agriculture business, Pinduoduo has reached almost 900 million consumers with the imported agriculture products from the CIIE. This year's first batch of cherries from Chile just went on pre-sale on the Pinduoduo app. Sales have risen more than 80% from a year ago. For this year's CIIE, Pinduoduo also plans to host special live streams to sell goods from countries that participate in the Belt and Road Initiative and from companies attending the import expo. That was Zhang Shishuan reporting. The Alashenko Comprehensive Bounded Zone in Xinjiang has been playing a critical role in promoting the industrial development of the region. Alashenko is the largest inland port in Xinjiang. It handles the largest number of China-Europe freight trains in China. The zone was set up in 2014 and so far has so far attracted more than 600 enterprises. Jing Shahe Noodles established a plant in the bounded area five years ago. Ying Fei Hong with the company says it can produce 400 tons of dry noodles per day. Wheat imports are not subject to tariff quotas here, and goods are transported by rail, which means low cost for enterprises. It's a great advantage. The Bounded Zone is home to 14 major grain and oil processing enterprises and more than 100 import and export enterprises. Last year, Alashenko's GDP reached more than 10 billion yuan, or, or around 1.3 billion U.S. dollars. American biotech company Moderna says it will set up its first pharmaceutical plant in China. The investment is estimated to reach 500 million U.S. dollars. The project covers about 18 hectares in the Shanghai Xinjiang Industry Park. Moderna is one of the world's leading vaccine developers and focuses on the research and development medicines as well as virus prevention technologies. And finally, China's state-owned energy firm Sinopec and Qatar Energy have signed a cooperation agreement on a 27-year liquefied natural gas sales and purchase deal. Under the agreement, Qatar Energy will supply 3 million tons of liquefied natural gas to Sinopec each year from the Northfield South Expansion Project. The project will build two new liquefied natural gas production lines with a production capacity of 16 million tons per year. Thank you very much. That was Tianyu with Business. You're listening the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China unveils its roster for the World Cup Asian qualifiers. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 
47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese men's football team has unveiled a 24-player roster for the upcoming 2026 FIFA World Cup Asian qualifiers. Head coach Alexander Yankovic has called up a full-strength team. Zhang Yuning returns to the squad after a long-term injury. He has only played three recent matches for Beijing Gowan as a substitute. Wu Lei, Wu Shi and Wei Shi Hao are also included. The Chinese team will play its first qualifier away against Thailand on November 16th. They then face South Korea at home in Shenzhen five days later. Maurizio Pochettino marked his return to Tottenham as Chelsea manager with a 4-1 victory in the English Premier League. Spurs' Dejan Kulusevski opened the scoring before Chelsea's Cole Palmer equalised through a penalty. Tottenham's Christian Romero was red-carded and Destiny Udogi earned a second yellow and a subsequent red card. These incidents reduced Spurs to nine men and opened the floodgates for Chelsea. Blues forward Nicholas Jackson went on to score a hat-trick to secure a big win for Chelsea. Chelsea boss Pochettino believes his team deserved the victory. I think we deserve to win. Uh, we forced them to make too many mistakes. I think that Tottenham was better in the first 15 minutes. And then I think we match the game and I think our performance was good and I start to force to make the mistake. I think everything that you can see, I think during the game, I think was was fair. Tottenham manager Ange Postecoglou praised his team's losing efforts. It's sort of hard to kind of analyse from a football perspective. Um, yeah, kind of left with the result, which is obviously disappointing, and you know that's you, know, you don't like to lose, particularly here at home. Yeah, you know, super proud of the players' efforts and will and desire and determination to get still get something out of the game. Um, and like I said, and then there's obviously the you know, the fallout from it from from our perspective, personnel-wise, which you know I guess we'll we'll deal with in the coming days. The London Derby game will be remembered for being dominated by VAR and ill-tempered play. The result also sees Manchester City remain top of the table, with Spurs staying in second place one point adrift. Jude Bellingham is doubtful for Real Madrid's midweek Champions League game at home to Sporting Braga. The England international has suffered a dislocated shoulder. The 20-year-old sustained the injury in Real Madrid's scoreless draw at home to Rayo Vallecano. Madrid has to decide whether or not to rest Bellingham until Saturday's La Liga game at home to Valencia. Bellingham has been vital since joining Real Madrid in the summer. He has scored 10 goals in 11 league appearances and 3 goals in 3 games in Europe. New Zealand rugby captain Sam Kane has been slapped with a heavy suspension for his dangerous tackle on Jesse Creel. The incident took place in the World Cup final between New Zealand and South Africa in Paris. Kane appeared remotely before an independent disciplinary committee to hear his fate. The committee has imposed a three-match suspension on the 31-year-old. The ban will see Kane miss his first three games for his new club, Japanese side Santori San Goliath. UFC middleweight champion Sean Strickland will defend his title against South Africa's Drickers Duplessis in January. The American will be seeking his first title defense after upsetting Israel Adesanya for the belt in September. The 185-pound title fight will headline UFC 297 in Toronto. The UFC likely would have gone with an immediate rematch between Strickland and Adesanya. However, Adesanya has elected to take an indefinite break from professional competition. Strickland is currently on a three-fight win streak. Iga Swiatek dominated American Jessica Pegula 6-1-6 love to win the season-ending WTA finals in Cancun. In doing so, she also regained her world number one ranking from Arena Sabalenka. The four-time Grand Slam winner broke Pegula five times and saved the only break point she faced. The victory is also her first WTA finals trophy. Laura Siegmund and Vera Zvonareva won the doubles title and Zvonareva admitted it was a difficult week. It has been um, a difficult week, I guess, for everyone. A lot of wind and rain, but we were very patient. You know, we we're trying our best. Definitely was not, um, uh, you know, an easy way, but I think we worked well as a team and, you know, to win this title at the, you know, at the end, it's, uh, it means a lot. It's an incredible achievement. Siegmund was also thrilled with the outcome. 
I think so. We, we had a lot of pressure to even make it to here. And um, I think we've shown something that, that we've been good at all the time we've playing, we were playing together, that we can improve. Even if there are you know some matches or some tournaments not so great, we can work on it and we can find solutions to make it work again. That's uh, what we do really good within a match, but we did it also through the season and particularly through the last three months. So really proud about that. And in the end, we played some very good tennis. The pair defeated America's Nicole Melichar-Martinez and Australia's Ellen Perez in the final. The Golden State Warriors will host the 2025 NBA Basketball All-Star Game at their sparkling new arena, Chase Center. The announcement came at the venue in San Francisco, where the Warriors moved from across the bay in Oakland. It'll be the third time that the Warriors will play host to an All-Star weekend following 1967 and 2000. Events will be held from February 14th to 16th, 2025. Some will take place at the team's former home in Oakland, California. This includes the All-Star Celebrity Game and All-Star Practices. And finally, Bangladesh defeated Sri Lanka in their Cricket World Cup clash. The defeat ended Sri Lanka's slim semi-final hopes. Sri Lanka's Angelo Matthews was controversially timed out in a first for international cricket. A fuming Matthews was dismissed, chucking his helmet to the ground in a rage after leaving the pitch. Sri Lanka went on to make 279 all-out, a total already eliminated Bangladesh topped with 54 balls to spare. Bangladesh won by three wickets and knocked their opponents out out of top four contention. All right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, the Philadelphia Orchestra will perform in Beijing. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 past the hour now, turning to culture and entertainment. The Philadelphia Orchestra will perform a 50th anniversary concert in Beijing on Friday. They'll perform with the China National Symphony Orchestra at the National Center for the Performing Arts. They'll also visit Shanghai and Suzhou. Uh, the concert will be jointly conducted by Li Xinxiao of China and Tristan Ray Sherman of the USA. Uh, there are also plans for master classes, panel discussions, and a chamber music performance in Shanghai. Uh, the aim is to carry on the legacy of people-to-people -people exchanges through music. Visitors from around China and across the globe are making their way to Shanghai Disney Resort. Uh, more people than usual made the effort to dress up at the venue to celebrate Halloween this year. Lin Nan has more. Get ready for a Halloween extravaganza at Shanghai Disney Resort where pumpkins, costumes, and golden leaves set the stage for a classic celebration. Visitors who love dressing up can revel in the opportunity to do costumes and show off their wicked side with friends. I'm coming here and dressing up specifically for the Halloween party. I rented the costume. When I entered the park and saw so many princesses, I felt I'd come home. I was so happy. Since its grand opening in 26, Shanghai Disney Resort has been a firm favorite among local tourists. Authentically Disney and distinctly Chinese, that's been a guiding principle behind the Shanghai Disney Resort. You can find the brand of Disney magic and Chinese culture almost everywhere in the park. The Garden of the Twelve Friends showcases 12 mosaic murals that re-image Disney characters as the 12 Chinese zodiac signs. Beyond the recognizable decor, Shanghai Disney Resort hosts lively celebrations for both Chinese and Western holidays throughout the year. I can see some Chinese elements here and there. That's why I want to dress up like this, to add more Chinese elements to celebrate Halloween here. Many people wanted to take a photo with me. I'm so proud. This unique cultural fusion at Shanghai Disney Resort not only attracts locals, but draws visitors from all over the world. I've always wanted to come to Shanghai Disney. I've heard some really cool things about it. I'm really excited. <laughs> we just got here about 10 minutes ago, and so, <laughs> so far it's pretty cool. The castle's amazing. A new themed land based on Zootopia is also set to open at Shanghai Disneyland this December, making it the world's first for the popular animation and the park's eighth themed land. That was Lin Nan reporting.
The second national excellent musical showcase will take place in Shaman, Fujian Province. Starting Friday, the event features musical productions, seminars, and public performances throughout the city. Five major theaters in Shaman will stage 18 musicals from around China. This year's event received 96 submissions from 25 provinces, and performances will be live-streamed on multiple platforms to make the musicals accessible to a broader audience. The Confucius Institute at the University of Namibia is uh, celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. Officials and students have attended a ceremony in uh, Windhoek to mark the occasion. The Institute's being celebrated as a beacon of cultural exchange and language learning between Namibia and China. There are 15 teaching sites in different towns in Namibia, and thousands of learners have studied the Chinese language. The Institute's organized 58 cultural activities and Chinese medical lectures, which were attended by more than 6,800 people. Over the years, more than 70,000 have participated in activities organized by them. We're at 58 past the hour, Beijing down to zero overnight. Wednesday, we'll see cloudy skies and a high of 11. Chongqing has a slight rain continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 16 and the highs 21. Last is down to minus one, then cloudy and 10. Hong Kong's down to 25 degrees, followed by clouds and a high of 27. Elsewhere, Tokyo's at 16 overnight. It'll be sunny and 20 on Wednesday. Islamabad's at 15 this evening, then overcast and 22. Bangkok has a light rainfall, continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 25 and a high of 33. In Africa, Nairobi's getting some rain and 23 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 14 this evening, then overcast and 26. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China's uh, presidents met with Australia's prime minister in Beijing. And the two sides discussed the potential for trade and cooperation. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 